0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to the What If Project podcast. This is episode number 266, and are you ready? Are you ready to go on a journey? Because this is this is a wild one. We have five guests on the show today. Uh, they are contributors to the book recently put out by Choir Publishing and Patheos. The book is called Sitting in the Shade of Another Tree, What We Learn by Listening to Other... Faiths, you have to get this book. You you have to hit pause, go to Amazon, buy the book, have it sent to you, download it to your Kindle, whatever. This book is so good, my friends. Uh, if any topic falls into the realm of the What If Project, it's this, right? Because we ask the question like, what if there are ways? What if? What if? There are ways of understanding, thinking about God, faith, Jesus, heaven, hell, afterlife, uh, sin, the cross, life in general. What if there are ways of thinking about all of these things that are way different than what our narrow faith tradition has handed us? And so in this book, uh, what people are doing is there, there's various people from various religious or faith backgrounds sharing about what they have learned from faiths that are different than their own and how those faith traditions have helped inform their own faith and their own understanding of their own faith tradition. Uh, this is a book, I mean, to paint a picture, you are sitting on a table, a long table, and everybody is welcome to have a seat and learn from one another. Nobody says I'm right, you're wrong. Uh, you're wrong, and I'm right, right? Nobody's saying that I have the corner market. And how to understand this? It's all about what we do here, right? Tell me what it is you believe about this, and why you believe it, and then ask questions. Do more listening than telling. It's kind of the the nature of the book, and. I have learned so much uh, from this book and from these individuals coming on the show today. Uh, I'm not even going to introduce them. They're all going to introduce themselves, and so they'll share a little bit about their own story, the essay they wrote in the book, things like that, but so good, so many good things coming, so please go get the book, do yourself a favor, get it, pick it up, read it, take it apart, highlight it, underline it, dog ear the pages if you have to, because there's so many gems Uh, in this book. So I'll put the link to it in the show notes. Uh, Also in the show notes, links to my books, uh, Rethinking Everything, Emerging from the Rubble, Uh, link to Patreon if you want to support the show, if this has helped you, encouraged you in any way, shape, or form, uh, anywhere from $3 a month up to like $100 a month. Uh, Every tier gets you entrance into our Discord chat group where we chat throughout the course of the week, uh, share the highs, the lows, the funny things. Some weeks it's really quiet. Some weeks I go and there's like 100 messages in there in a day. So uh, people are in there active, talking, making friends, and just realizing that we're not on this journey by ourselves, right? There's there's other people there uh, who are there with us. So anyway, all the links from the show notes. And again, this is episode number 266, Sitting in the Shade of Another Tree. Enjoy. everybody welcome back to the podcast today we are in for some fun because we have something different on the agenda today instead of having just one guest or two guests we have five guests maybe a sixth guest jumping in at some point in the conversation but uh, our friends acquire publishing recently released an amazing book called sitting in the shade of another tree what we learn by listening to other faiths Keith's holding it up i'm holding it up there it is Um, Basically, this book is a book of essays with, I think, Keith 16 contributors.
1: Uh, I think I counted them up. I want
0: to say it's 16, but we'll say 16. And we have five of them joining us today uh, on the show. And the contributors come from various faith backgrounds, and they all spend time in their essays talking about how faiths, other than their own uh, tradition, have influenced them um, on their spiritual journeys. And so all of our guests, everyone, uh, welcome. Thank you for making time for us, our listeners, and thank you for the work that y'all are doing. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thank for you. sure. All right. So this topic, I think, I think this is a really important topic for, for me, especially, I know for a lot of our listeners, because like a lot of our listeners, I come from a very evangelical background where it's our way or it's the highway to hell. <laughs> and it's only recently, <laughs> you know, the last, I don't know, five, maybe six years of doing this podcast that I'm learning. And I know this is a surprise to people. But evangelical Christianity doesn't have the corner market on God, right? I mean, who would have thought? What What? what an idea. Keith is like, what in the world? <laughs> and, you know, we're all connected together. We all have, in some mysterious way, uh, this divinity breathing inside of us. And we can learn from each other. We can be connected together. And what I can learn from all of you can make me a better Christian, a better human being as I operate and I live and I move within my own faith uh, tradition. And so rather than me kind of introducing uh, each guest and throwing out a bunch of random questions, like I said before we hit record, that feels way too chaotic for me. I want to give everybody space to kind of share a little bit about what they wrote, a little bit about their journey. But I'd like to start with Keith. Uh, Keith is one of the owners of Choir. He's helped kind of spearhead this this project and put it together. And so Keith, if you could begin by sharing a little bit about yourself, this project, uh, the vision behind the book, and we just kind of go around the table. You can hand off the baton to the next person, and we'll see where we go.
1: Sure. Well, thank you. Again, thanks for having, me, having yeah. us on to talk about this project. Um, if your listeners don't know who I am, that would be a surprise to me. But I'll just, for the one that just maybe <laughs> doesn't remember. Um, what, yeah, like I, your eighth I,
0: time on the show? Something like something that. Something like that. I <laughs>
1: um, yeah, I am the co-owner of Choir Publishing, along with Matthew DeStefano. Um, I do three other podcasts, Heritage Happy Hour, Apostates Anonymous, and Second Cup with Keith. Uh, I wrote a series of books called the Jesus Un Series. It was seven books that dealing with um, some of the major um, objections or questions or problems people struggle with as they go through their deconstruction and the reconstruction of their faith um, through that process. And I just finished writing uh, two books one, Sola Mysterium, celebrating the beautiful uncertainty of everything, and Sola Deus, what if God is all of us? Um, and yeah, kind of moving in this direction of where, where this book is coming from. So. Um, the book really started with sort of Choir 2.0. Matthew DiStefano and I took over um, the reins of choir uh, from Rafael Polindo in January of this year. And as Matthew and I were sort of brainstorming the things we wanted to do, you know, new things we wanted to do, um, this book was something that popped up pretty pretty quickly. It was almost immediately. Um, and the idea was, we had the idea for the book, but we thought it would make it made more sense to partner. So Matthew and I both blog on the Pathios blogging platform. And um and so we have a connection with Pathios already. And we thought, hey, now that we're owners, co-owners of choir, why don't we approach Pathios? Pathios is the is like the world's largest religious blogging platform, and they have channels for everything, really. Um, really, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, uh, you know pretty much everything, new age, everything. Mm -hmm. And so we approached them, uh, told them we'd like to partner with them to co-publish a book together. And we gave them this idea. We said, you know, we even had the title Sitting in the Shade of Another Tree, um, what we learn by listening to people of other faiths. And they loved it. And so what we asked them to do was help us contact some of the people that were blogging on their platform in those different channels from different faiths, um, ask them to say, you know, this was the idea for the book. Do you have a story? Do you have um, something you can share with us that, you know, um, either someone you met or something you've learned or a practice that you've really loved and appreciated about another faith system than your own mm-hmm. and how that has enriched your faith? And yeah, they they suggested some really amazing contributors. Um, about half of them were from Pathos. About half of them were from either choir authors. We had already published their work. Um, or people that had been recommended to us or people that we knew um, through our other associations. And so, yeah, it all came together. Uh, I tell you what, that was the idea. But when I started, I was editing, like sort of collecting all the essays and uh, reading them and putting them together and evaluating them. And I was blown away mm. by the stories. I mean, I knew kind of in a way what I was looking for. But when I started reading them, I I knew immediately, oh, my gosh, this is special. This is going to be really, really good. Mm. Um, and again, we have a, just a, a small, uh, sampling of some of those contributors and there with, you know, and there was those writers, uh, with us today, but, uh, it was really fantastic and it's had a great res- you know, response. Um, it's, it's been one of the best selling books in some, multiple categories since it came out. Mm. So uh, I know people are really resonating with the ideas in this book.
0: That's awesome. So I, that's one of the, one of the things I wanted to ask you is like, did you, Like obviously you had an expectation of what you were gonna get when you got these essays. Yep. Did you learn did you did you find yourself learning a lot of things that you didn't know that were like, oh my goodness, like this is eye-opening for me? Or like what was it like for you to read through these essays when you were getting them?
1: Yeah. Well, some of them are things like I said, I kind of expected I kind of knew, Mm -hmm. you know, what I was I was getting things that I kind of was expecting, but a few of them were things completely outside of my experience. And and actually, I won't spoil anything because some of them are with us here <laughs> on this interview and you'll hear from them yep. directly. Because, you know, there's, I mean, I know a little bit about, I know a lot about evangelical Christianity, right? I was raised in that. I know a little bit about Islam, yep. um, working with Peace Catalyst International and things like that, getting to know and having some friends that are Muslim. And, you know, I know a little bit about a few other faiths and people I've met from other faiths, but I knew nothing about Sufism. Uh, I knew nothing about Baha'i. Yeah. Uh, I knew nothing about the Kundalini <laughs> and no. things like that. And so when I read those chapters, I was like, whoa, this is really, really cool. Yeah. So um, yeah, it was really great. And, and again, you know, just in general, like the 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 idea behind the book is that, you know, typically with people write about or talk about a faith that isn't their own, it's to critique it, to tell yeah. you how wrong it is and um, so yeah, we just wanted this to be almost like a reverse, uh, an inverted apologetics book. It's not apologetics. It's, it's more of like saying, here's what, here's what other faiths are getting right. Here's what we love about, um, the practices and the beliefs of other faith systems and learning to listen to people that don't think like you and look like you and believe like you. Um, I found that to be, um, really, really helpful. So yeah, yeah it's really encouraging.
0: Awesome. I love it. Thank you, Keith. So I'm going to hand it over to Heather because Heather's on my screen next to Keith. So we'll just kind of go around the circle as I see it, and we'll let Heather uh, kind of take it from there. Heather's been on the show before. Uh, we talked about her book, which is in the background of her screen, uh, Returning to Eden. Uh, but if you could talk to us a little bit about you, yourself, and then take us into your essay a little bit and kind of lay some groundwork.
2: Thanks, Glenn. Yeah. yeah. Um, so as you said, I'm the author of Returning to Eden. It's a uh, my first book, Choir um, published it, which I was very grateful for. Um, I'm a mom of three kids. I'm My husband is Jared. We live in Atlanta. Um, so that's probably what's relevant <laughs> to, to say. Um, but I was really, really excited when Keith um, mentioned this book and asked if I wanted to be a part of it. Because um, what returning, returning to Eden was... Um, I mean, I think it's accessible for everyone, but I come from an evangelical background. And so it was written for like a Christian audience, for people who speak that quote unquote language. And I like to call it a language now, um, because what I have found through studying other religions and through my own experience that I write about in this book is that there's like, you know, like there's like love, which, you know, is is its own mystery. And then, you know, we try to talk about it, and we try to express it in our own different languages, you know, in English, French, Arabic, or whatever. And I think that conceptually, we get that concept, like, all these languages are just ways of communicating and expressing something else. They're not like ends in and of themselves. But for religion, that's like much harder for us to grasp. But that, but that's sort of the way that I see it now is like, Religion being, you know, sort of like this technology or certain kind of like closer to languages where, you know, we're trying to understand God or the divine or the great mystery. And, you know, these illuminations and revelations and truths are coming to people, you know, in different parts of the world with different culture and we're expressing them like in different languages. So with returning to Eden, I, you know, I kind of stayed pretty much exclusively, like in the Christian language, like speaking that language, but, um, you know, I talk about in that book about, um, you know, Christianity, the, the myths and the metaphors and the symbolism in it, that's pointing to something deeper, something more universal. Um, and so what I didn't really get to elaborate on in that book was my own experience of encountering the divine and then Essentially having to what what I actually encountered, which I understood as Christ, I didn't have language for in the Christian tradition to to help me make sense and understand what I was actually experiencing. So it was like my reality was colliding and my language was was insufficient to help me understand it. And so um, you know, really in order I, I kind of describe this experience of like this influx of energy, which was really disruptive to my nervous system and essentially, just out of like, you know, trying to ground myself, um, you know, getting into yoga and meditation, which kind of naturally opened the door to Hinduism because, um, and somewhat Buddhism, because it seems like those practices are more common in those religions. Um, And so, you know, I've been thinking about that story in the Bible where, you know, the sick man is begging Jesus for help. And he's like, you know, do you want to be healed? And I think, you know, reading that story in my, in the past, it would just be like, what a silly question, you know, like, of course, if you're sick, who wouldn't want to be healed? But that was really the question for me was like, you know, it almost seemed like the answer was, Heather, do you want to be healed? And if you do, you know, you're gonna have to, (laughs) <laughs> it like the language that you speak is going to become all confused for the time being. And I started finding like healing in these other practices and explanations in other faith traditions, like specifically in Hinduism. So, um, I talk about how, you know, how I, um, discovered the language and explanations for the energy that I was feeling and the transformations that I was feeling in my body and the phenomena that I was experiencing in my body through, um, the name for it in Hinduism is Kundalini. And it's like this influx of energy, which is ultimately like this healing energy, but I kind of compare it to like you know, if you have like pipes running through your house and you've got the water turned on, but there's a blockage, then there just be beca- like this major buildup of pressure. And if you just, um, if you don't turn off the water and you just unblock, you know, the the pipe, all of a sudden you're getting this surge of yeah. water or surge of energy. And so that's sort of what ended up happening. Um, But through studying like the Hindu chakra system and understanding the system of Kundalini, I was able to like ground myself and navigate and understand what was happening in my body, as opposed to it just like spilling out into like a psychotic episode, essentially. Mm. So anyways, um, I kind of explained that um, in the book, and then how that helped me understand the metaphors and symbolism in Christianity. And kind of discovering, like, oh my God! Like, I already, I do understand this in my mother tongue language now, but I couldn't without, you know, kind of taking a detour through these other traditions.
0: Yeah, that's what that's. I really, you and I come from a very similar background. And what I really appreciated about, I found myself going like uh, so many aha moments when I was reading your chapter because I felt like, as we talked about the last time you were on the show, is that when we tend to look at these stories in in the Bible through these, this very narrow lens, like it's means this, this is what it means. These are the questions you ask. These are the conclusions you come to. But once you start hearing these other traditions, all of a sudden you have these different lenses to look at that same story through. And you start to see all sorts of different things that you never saw before, but we're always there. Like I just had somebody on the show uh, this past week talking about the curse of the evil eye, which is a whole nother, kind of rabbit trail to go down to but he was showing me different things about this this tradition that goes way 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 back in history and how it pops up in the bible how it pops up in these other ancient scriptures outside of christianity and now that i've seen it i can't unsee it like i know i see mm-hmm. it there i see it everywhere i feel like it's the same thing with what you were just saying is that once you see something somewhere that brings to light something in your own scriptures it's like a big aha moment yeah yeah Well, thank you for sharing. Uh, Again, listeners, please go get this book and see more of what Heather has to say. Uh, Duncan, you are next on my screen, my friend. You could introduce yourself a little bit. Talk about your essay and tell us about Duncan. Sure.
3: Um, Okay, I must apologize. First, I've uh, got a bit of a a chest infection going on. We have been sick in my
0: house. My (laughs) daughter's in first grade and she brings home every germ. Hey oh, well, the current thing.
3: <laughs> I've, got, I've got a particular friend who every time he visits me I get sick. <laughs> he's a carrier. Uh, right. Yeah, he's a carrier. I think I got covid from him at my wedding. Oh, um, yeah. anyway, uh, I'm Duncan. Um I'm a writer, I'm a novelist. Um I'm a pathos writer. Uh have been for a few years now. Um I used to be a missionary, a Christian missionary. I used to be um uh and evangelical in the conservative mold shall we say mm-hmm. um, that seems to be the case with so many people <laughs> um, <clears throat> so my chapter is on Sufi mysticism and um Sufism is a branch of Islam but it's it's a not so well-known branch of Islam um uh, my first encounter with it was um during the first period of real deconstruction uh, maybe 20 years ago. And my friends and I, uh, one of my friends introduced me to this book, and we'd sit around and read these poems. And at the time, I was asking the deepest questions um, about my faith. I'd, I'd reached the point where I had to go right down to, do I even believe in God? Mm. Uh, and it was frightening to ask those questions, but I asked them with an open heart. Um, I even went to some loved ones and said, look, if I, if the answer comes back no, are you still going to love me? Oh. And thankfully, they, they all said yes. Oh. Um but the um uh the experience with with Sufi mysticism comes through Hafiz of Shiraz, who is one of the most well known Sufi masters who's wrote the most beautiful poetry um he writ he wrote it in the fourteenth century but it for me when I read Daniel Ladinsky's translations um they it's like they were written uh, whispered in my ear for the first time ever you know it's they're extraordinary and what what encouraged me about Sufi mysticism, what spoke to me, was that it is mystical. And so when I was reading through these poems, I was the, the hair on my, my arms was standing up and I was thinking, this, this is very familiar. Mm. <laughs> this feeling is... I know this feeling. <laughs> I, I know this feeling. And yeah. I suppose if I could condense it into a single thought, it would be... Because according to my faith tradition, this guy couldn't have known God, right?
1: right
3: mm-hmm. i would i was told but i remember sitting there thinking well if he didn't know god i don't know god mm. Mm. It, it was that straightforward for me mm. and he he writes in such beautiful flowing poetry about the beloved and the friend such intimacy with god mm. but in in the uh the chapter i've written about um uh, he i touched on and daniel Ladinsky's organization has been very kind and let me quote uh, the full poems all the way throughout which is very generous of them um, but I touch on the importance of stillness sex and love unconditional love the importance of togetherness the enthusiasm of youth learning from each other the importance of of being an individual intimacy with God um, and, and it goes on and on and on the the, the stuff that Hafiz of Shiraz has written about really just touches my heart. So Can I read you an example? Please do, yes, please. So this is is one of the ones that helped me see that he walks with God, he walked with God. It's called The Seed Cracked Open. It used to be that when I woke in the morning, I would with confidence say, what am I going to do? That was before the seed cracked open. Now Hafiz is certain there are two of us housed in this body doing the shopping together in the market and tickling each other while fixing the evening's food. Now, when I awake, all the internal instruments start to play the same music. God, what love mischief can we do for the world today? Hmm. I, I just, I don't, I can't even really comment on it. Wow. I just love it.
0: That just gave me chills. I know that feeling.
3: <laughs> yeah. And, and I think this, the, the, the simple lesson that I've taken yeah. is that, God can be found everywhere. Yeah. Mm. The title of my chapter is God is Everywhere and Whirling, which is the closing line from uh, one of Hafiz's poems because the Sufis, they like to spin in circles and dance before the Lord. They're also called whirling dervishes is a more commonly known term. Yeah. Mm. So I don't know what more I have to say other than, other than that. It, it, I love faith and I love the faith of others and this helped me on my journey. And much as um, has already been said, uh, I see the beautiful truths from my own faith issued from another voice mm-hmm. and that helps deepen my own faith as well as expose me to the lessons of these other faiths yeah
0: that's so good you said a word earlier you said that um, you refer to it as mystical I was wondering if you could just really quick um, what does that word mean to you and I asked that because I feel like that word carries so much baggage with it these days as people kind of identify themselves as like i'm a mystical thinker i feel like whenever i ask somebody what that means to them it's always a different answer so for our okay. listeners if you could share what that means for you that would be great
3: okay well for me and i think for hafiz of shiraz mysticism is the experience of god mm-hmm. it's this sort mm-hmm. of engagement with the divine rather than the thinking about and the reframing even the deconstruction and reconstruction that's not mysticism that's thought right. yeah um, searching but it's the engagement with the divine yeah, and I live that. I am a. I I love engaging with the divine.
0: <laughs> yeah, when Keith and I, Keith just recorded something with me uh, earlier this week or last week or something, but we were talking about that very idea that the thinking. I feel like I'm just I'm over the thinking. I feel like I can't I can't think anymore. <laughs> I feel like I've been thinking like especially in evangelicalism was all about thinking. Then when I was de- deconstructing, I'm always you're always deconstructing, but there's a part of that that's always about thinking. I feel like my brain like there's just smoke coming out of my ears. I'm like I just need to just be. With the divine and stop trying to figure it out
3: yeah well i'll add just this one statement then um because there's a lot of discussion going on all the time on facebook people posting about jesus every day hundreds <laughs> of times and for me faith is like sex i'd rather do it and talk about it there you go there you go Maybe that's the title of the episode <laughs> that's so good thank you sell
2: some books yeah that'll sell some
3: books
1: there's there's one for i gotta say that (laughs) reminds me real quick of a quote a friend of mine once said he said uh similar to what you're saying he said you know um writing a book about love or talking about love is one thing but um the kama sutra is a lot more specific right
0: right that's right that's right well thank you duncan i appreciate you taking the time to share with us about your your essay uh caleb you're next to my screen my friend
4: Welcome. Hey, yeah. So my name's Caleb. I um, I, I'm currently doing a PhD in Christian-Muslim relations at the University of Edinburgh. So, like Duncan, I'm in the UK, but unlike Duncan, I'm clearly not from the UK. <laughs> so I kind of, I, I grew up Christian, like sort of evangelical Christian in the South. In fact, like uh, Heather and I have known each other for for quite a
0: long time. Uh,
2: and we went to high school together. Oh yeah. wow. Yeah. Different yeah. Classes, super South. Yeah.
0: Yeah. sure. So you guys have some stories you could share high school stories.
2: <laughs> yeah, Probably at
4: least a couple, but yeah. Anyway. So I, I grew up evangelical, like sort of specifically Southern Baptist. And, you know, for me, like, it was just part of this whole like sort of Southern cultural milieu to use a, you know, a loaded, I don't know, a term. So it's like, like for is religion kind of mixed together with like, food mixed together with the weather mixed together with like sports you know it's all kinds of stuff that you know it, it means to be a southerner and for me I, I really liked it all and like there's probably a part of me that rebelled against it and i was kind of a nerdy kid compared to maybe some of my cousins who like hunting a lot you know <laughs> you guys might be able to relate that are from the south yeah but you know in in the end like I, I fundamentally i liked the idea of of community like i liked how society kind of operated in a way that everybody can have a mutual understanding of you know, what was normal, what was good, what was bad. I mean, there's some problems there, but, but it was kind of, it it was inherently kind of comforting and and to have a coherent society. And it's hard now because, you know, society is not quite as much like that. But anyway, so I I, I liked that as far as it goes. And when it came to, you know, my, my faith, like in in Christianity and Jesus, like it was kind of, it kind of was expected, you know, like you have this experience of, you know, you grow up, you, you kind of in church for enough sermons that you kind of had this idea of like this guilt, you know, just kind of the, this, this original sin, if nothing else, but probably more than that, kind of kind of beaten into you over time. And, you know, you kind of accept it. And then, you know, when the gift of Jesus's sacrifice on your behalf is offered, you know, you kind of gratefully accept that. And so I remember even as, you know, a seven-year-old, I remember having this experience of, of being saved is what it's usually called in that tradition. And, and nobody believed me because um, I was seven. And it was only later on that I kind of had to kind of go through the motions again to make everybody happy, you know, but like, I, I didn't get too bitter about that. I was a little mad that people didn't believe me, but then, you know, so overall, like I, I was pretty happy with, with all of that. And then in high school, I kind of had something kind of happen to me. I was um, doing a report in high, like in this class that was, it was like an individual study class. It was just me and another person. And I could write a report on anything I wanted to. I just, I didn't even want to be there. I just wanted to sleep because I stayed up way too late at night watching Seinfeld or, or you know, NFL or whatever it was on late <laughs> at night, like late night talk shows. And so it was after lunch. I, you know, so I, I go and I I wanted, I did a report on something I already knew a lot about, which was like mythology uh, of mm-hmm. the world, Norse mythology, Greek mythology. I love those stories. So wrote a report on that. And, you know, it was done in two weeks and it was like 10, 15 pages long. It was, it was totally fine. And so I just started sleeping in the library. I found like a cozy corner somewhere. And then eventually my supervisor caught on and he said that I really should add on to the report and, you know, not sleep all the time. I'm like, well, that's fair. I guess this is school. So I went around and I I decided to, you know, kind of add on world religions to all that because in some ways, like world religions have the same function in our society as ancient mythology did back then. It's sort of a world that you believed in and and, and honestly is religion. So I'm like, okay, I'm Christian. I know everything about Christianity, obviously. So I'll start with something different. I'll start with Islam. And this was you know, 1999, not to uh, completely date myself. Um, so I'm, I didn't really have this negative connotation about Islam. We learned a little bit about it in school, but not a lot. And I remember like reading about it and thinking it was very interesting that I, I now understood how Islam saw itself as the continuation of Christianity and Judaism. And that wasn't something that I really understood before. And so I'm like, okay, well, this is great. Like, but you know, Muslims, as far as I can see in this sort of reading about Islam and about Muslims, it can be—they seem very sincere people. They seem like, you know, they really care about God in the same way that I do. But you know, maybe you can be sincere. Maybe you can be sincerely wrong. I, I just know that when I read the Bible, in my heart, I feel like that's the word of God, like mm-hmm. in the sort of mystical, emotional sense. And so I was quite surprised when I opened up the Quran and I felt the same way. I was like, okay, what am I going to do about that, God? And so I went through this journey over a few months, and I was researching Islam as much as I possibly could because I just wanted to know what I was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And one day, a book fell out in front of me called A Short Introduction to the Baha'i Faith, something I'd never really heard of before. And so I started researching that as well. Um, At one point I had a dream and the dream was, I don't have dreams. I forget all my dreams or they're ridiculous when I wake up. Me too. (laughs) Yeah, good. I'm I'm not the only one. So, but in this dream, I felt like God was telling me to actually look like, actually read the book and actually kind of research this. And I was like, okay, sure. Whatever you say, God. So I did. And um, I started reading the writings of Baha'u'llah, like the Baha'i writings. And it really touched my heart in the same way. And one of the things I found interesting about the Baha'i way of looking at things is this idea of progressive revelation. In some ways it's similar to the uh, the Islamic idea that I was talking about Mm -hmm. is that wherever people were in the world, like throughout human history, God sent a messenger to them for that time and place. And in addition to that, it wasn't just repeating revelation. It was actually progressive. So it was building up something over time. So human civilization is kind of like it's going somewhere. And Mm -hmm. the Baha'i faith specifically says that it's like, it's, Relevant to today, so the Baha'i teachings are talking about how we can build one world civilization together, you know, to get rid of these ideas, ideas of prejudice and war, and you know, these kinds of institutional racism and you know, sexism and all this. And so it's, it's kind of a mission-driven faith. Mm-hmm. So I was quite, you know, convinced by that, and I wound up becoming a Baha'i. The book specifically talks about that journey a bit, um, and but also once you grow up in a certain way, you kind of can't help but look through that lens through the, for the rest of your life. So even Mm. as a Baha'i, you know, I kind of look at the world in a lot of ways as a, as an evangelical Christian from the South, Mm. you know, the way that I look at morals or, you know, current events, like, I may not always, you know, identify with the uh, sort of the typical like viewpoint from, from being a Southerner of that, of that persuasion, but it's sort of like your first thought when you look at something. And so I talk about, you know, as a, as a Baha'i who came from a Baptist background, salvation is like you know kind of in both faiths i talk about how like narrative and the idea of the stories of the bible and you know sort of the individual story that is pushed very hard and reformed in kind of evangelical circles like it's not so much the um the stories that go on in the old testament to the new testament but it's about the story of yourself as a you know sinful person and Mm -hmm. that is saved by jesus and then going on to new life through that and kind of comparing that against Sort of this story that we as Baha'is think about is like humanity progressing as as part of the story. Mm-hmm. And lastly, I touch a bit on like detachment and uh, reliance upon God that you know, I find like parallels in both faiths.
0: So I love that you said you said that you you became a Baha'i. and so i'm I'm wondering, and I think our listeners might be wondering this too, did did this conversion, like did you did you leave your Christian roots behind? did you do you bring anything with you from your Christian upbringing? Into your Baha'i faith, is there any kind of merging of the two, or did you progress from one to the other?
4: Yeah, that's a great question. I think from a Baha'i perspective, when you're looking at other religions, mm-hmm. you're it's they're not separate. So when you're looking at every major world religion, like it's that's something God did on purpose. You know, and there are seeming contradictions in the faith, but a lot mm-hmm. of those have to do with the social laws at the time. You know, it's not necessarily about like if if God is different or not. Yeah, you know, I mean, people people argue about that sort of thing, but for for us, like for for me personally, so being a Christian means to believe in Jesus, and the, Jesus you know saves you from your sin, gets you to God, right? As a Bahai, I believe that. Like that's that's not in question, um, and it's like not just sort of like kind of squishy. Like I believe that. Like I actually believe that. I think that like the whole story of the Old Testament leading up to the New Testament and Jesus solving you know becoming israel's king you know being savior of the world you know moving turning the roman empire kind of upside down from caesar's king to jesus's king i mean i believe in that completely that's mm-hmm. why i'm doing what i'm doing as a phd so as a baha'i I, i'm required to believe that so mm-hmm. it's in some ways it's not it's not throwing that away in any way it's sort of saying well is god doing something new can god do something new and if, if that's possible has he so for, as a Baha'i, I would say, yeah, he is through Baha'u'llah. But, you know, that's that's the question that people have to wrestle with in being a Baha'i. It's not rejecting anything.
0: I love that because, it, again, like growing up in that world that you you obviously grew up in as well, it's like there's this degree of separateness. Everything is separate. It's Christianity is over here. It's Islam over here. It's Buddhism over there. But we're obviously the right ones right here in the center. But there's all these other ones as well. But I think I'm in this place as well where I'm trying to see, trying to like eliminate that kind of language from my vocabulary and see it more as it's we, it's us, and we're all on this journey together. And like you said, there might be some differing things here and there, but at the end of the day, we're all kind of moving in the same direction. And I think that's what you just brought out as a beautiful thing. So thank you. Thanks. All right. Uh, Haranessa, you are my my last person on the circle, but certainly not the least. Uh, thank <laughs> you for joining us. And uh, feel free to tell us about yourself and your your work.
5: Thank you so much, Glenn, for having us on. It's really nice to always be uh, here and listening to everyone and getting to know them. I feel like I get to know a little bit more about each and every one of you as we go on uh, throughout the podcast interviews. And thank you, Keith, for um, bringing us all together. So I am. <laughs> I currently live in Northern Virginia with my four daughters. Uh, my eldest actually moved out um, when she went out to college. So she graduated last year and she decided to stay in Richmond. I was born uh, in Kabul, Afghanistan, and uh, when I was two years old, because of the uh, invasion of the Soviets, we ended up having to flee, and we fled into Pakistan as refugees for about three years, and then we were fortunate enough to be part of the first wave of Afghans who came to the United States as refugees during the Reagan administration in the early 80s, and I landed in Queens, New York City, and that's where I grew up and have great memories growing up in New York. By the time I was five and a half, I was fluent in three languages. So I lived in three different countries and navigating that and being the youngest of 10 children and my mother passing away in Pakistan, there was just a lot to grapple with uh, coming into a new home in a new place that was not familiar and not having my mother around. My my sisters did a pretty good job, I think, uh, in in loving and caring for for us little ones, and uh, they sacrificed a lot of their own future and their own education to making sure that we grew up, uh, getting everything that we needed. Um, I went to Hunter College in New York City, where I got my degree in elementary education and English literature. Uh, I got married very young, which was probably not a good idea when <laughs> I think about it. Now. I was 20. And now that I think of like my older adult kids, like you're not even ready to get married. I can't <laughs> imagine what I was thinking. <laughs> so uh, I got married. I had my two oldest ones in New York, and then we moved to Virginia in 2004. And then I had my two younger ones. So my eldest is 23 and a half, and my youngest just turned 15 Um and uh, while we were here in Virginia, I, I was in a pretty complicated marriage, uh, even from before, and um, it didn't end up where it needed to. And I went through a divorce and I ended up having to raise my four kids by myself mm-hmm. um, um, since, since the divorce. So they have not seen their father since. And um, mm-hmm. I got pulled into, I was the vice principal of the school, of the Islamic school at the Adams Center here in Northern Virginia. It was a part-time job at first, and then became full-time as time went along. And um, then they pulled me into always doing news interviews, if CNN would come, MSNBC, because the masjid felt that I understood both the Islamic world and the American world, and I was visibly Muslim, but I was able to articulate what we felt and what we were going through at that specific time with that specific incident. And so I was constantly being pulled out of my office. (laughs) And so they offered me a full-time job to take over the outreach and and interfaith department, which I thought was a good change and a new beginning for me in my career. And so I did that for about five, six years. And in the midst of that, I was approached by our Imam who's uh, Imam Majid. I'm sure some of you know him. He's very well known. And he found out that I have a music background because I went to a performing arts high school in New York city. And um, he asked me to start a choir and I looked at him and said, what
0: <laughs> do what?
5: <laughs> he's like, yeah, at the masjid. And like, we don't do choirs at the masjid. <laughs> like it's not part of our prayer. It's not part of anything. And he said, no, we need to have these children sing songs and represent and be part of uh, other things. And he's like, I need you to do this. So I was a little hesitant because I'm a trained vocalist, not a trained conductor, and mm. I did not know what I was doing, but I said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll take this one step at a time. And so I started the choir and um, we've been almost now eight years going, and these kids have been exposed to a lot of different faith backgrounds. Our biggest invitations we get are from churches and synagogues, which is great for them because they really get exposed to other faith groups at such a young age, mm. and they get to see how other faith groups groups function and how they pray and how they worship God and what they believe in. And it's such a great experience for them to see that at such a young age, which normally sometimes you have to wait after like you're 50, 55 to even get exposed to that if you're even interested. Mm -hmm. Then I was offered uh, a job at Multifaith Neighbors Network, where I currently work at as Director of Outreach and uh, we work with uh, clerics uh, rabbis imams and evangelical christian pastors specifically and it's funny how most of you on the screen are from the evangelical christian background so (laughs) it's like a full circle back (laughs) what we do is we bring the clerics together in their specific cities where they live close to each other and we train them in our retreats in getting to know one another building relationships having those relationships and then moving on to engaging their community and bringing their community into mix and one of my main jobs is making sure that women are part of the work that we're doing because if you look at faith groups and you look at what they're doing they most likely usually leave women out sometimes consciously sometimes you know <laughs> you know you know what i'm trying to say yeah. and so it, it becomes a, an issue of always constantly looking in the room when i walk in and seeing how many women are present how many women are representing and that's important for me. And I've made that part of my work in this multi-faith peace-building career that I have. And I've I, I will say that I've learned so much from, from my evangelical Christian colleagues and the women that I work with in the different cities, and how dedicated they are to a God, and how kind and respectful and and Open, they have been with me, uh, and yes, and your pastor Bob will always say, you know, Hernessa, if I could convert you, I would. Like, you know, that's that's part of the, their faith. Mm-hmm. But he respects me enough to know that that that's not something I want to do. But we can joke about it, right? You know, like right. he'll see the baptismal bath and be like, Hernessa, don't you want to go in there? <laughs> <laughs> you know, was like, yeah, not today, Pastor Bob. <laughs> you know?
0: Maybe tomorrow, not today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
5: Um, you know and then he'll come and remind me like isn't it time for you to pray and I'm like yeah it is he's like okay go you can pray over there we have like the room set up for you Mm -hmm. and so a little bit before this I forgot to mention that um, the work that I was doing at Adams also showed me that um, going into events and going into places and women not being uh, represented what could I do to bring our voices to the table so I started Mm -hmm. a podcast It's called Sister Act, where I invited Rabbi Susan Shankman, who's the lead female rabbi. She's actually the first female rabbi, senior rabbi at Washington Hebrew Congregation in D.C., and Dr. Sabrina Dent, who is a Black Christian scholar. And we talk about faith, resiliency, and life centered around the viewpoints of women and what that looks like. And it's a great way to put content out there for people to listen to. Uh, women of faith and their voices and what we have to say it it wasn't so much about getting you know numbers and downloads or anything like that it's about just having content out there for people to hear our voices and how we interact with one another and i thought that was extremely important for us to do so back to what i wrote in the book with the women of faith um when I went to Sudan in in February, right before the war broke out, I was amazed. I was a bit skeptical about what what I was going to get myself into. I it's the first time I'm going into Africa. What's going to happen? Is there tension? Is there not tension? And it helped that Imam Majid himself is from Sudan, so he was with us and was able to translate. If anybody didn't know Arabic, and I don't speak Arabic, so it was easier and 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 you know it flowed easier for him with him being there. And I was watching the women and we had invited Christian and Muslim women there. And the way these women worked together was just so profound. I thought them to be so engaged with one another, listening to one another, really feeling the hurt and pain from both sides and what they were feeling, especially the Christian women who are minorities there. Um, And I wanted them to be able to voice what they had been going through and what they felt and they were able to do that without the Muslim women feeling that they were being attacked and Mm -hmm. they were actually listening and saying wow I didn't even know you felt that way and you know I we never heard of this before and I felt great that we were able to facilitate that conversation and be able to have people talk about what they were feeling without feeling that they were going to get picked on or ridiculed and then when i um, talk about jane who um is this really full of energy jewish woman who does a lot of great work for women for children and when she saw my choir performing at the washington hebrew she's like i have to work with you i have to get your kids to come and do this this uh, collaboration with me and you know the kids have loved it they've performed at the kennedy center twice now because of her And her just coming in and building them up and saying, you're fabulous, you're great. You know, you can see the light in these kids' eyes, just like, you know, (laughs) full blast. And their confidence goes up. And, you know, since 9-11, Muslims have been on the defensive for such Mm -hmm. a long time that Muslim kids feel it as well. And it was great for her to put them in a position where they were actually able to show that this is who we are as a Muslim community. This is what we do. And this is who we are. And a lot of this goes back to a lot of people asking me, how do I work with people of other faith groups when we disagree on so much and we aren't the same? And I said, yeah, that's the beauty of it. I mean, in the Quran, you know, God says, I made you into nations and tribes so that you may get to know one another. Mm -hmm. It wasn't because I need to go out and convert you. And if you don't think like me, I'm going to tell you that you're bound to hell. That's not the purpose of who we are as Muslims. We were made and created simply to worship God. And, and respect other people in the process. You know, if God wanted to, he says I would have made everybody into one religion, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. And so that respect and that attention and that cogn- you know being cognizant of what that means is so important for us so that we can end up going and teaching other people about that and and showing them that this is the true value of Islam. This is who we are. This is where you and I can meet with our differences that it's okay to have those differences. We're not here to say that just because you pray differently than I do, that you're not worthy of my respect. Uh, Just because you might think differently about where you're going to end up after you die does not mean that I should not accept you as a human being and and give you that dignity that you deserve. And those are the conversations I've been having with people, especially Muslims who ask me about my work, especially now in in this uh, uh, time of you know tension and stuff going on in the middle east and how my relationship with especially the jewish community uh works and how how we're having these conversations and i said this is why i do the work i do is because people need to see us as examples of our faith being played out in the world real time that mm-hmm. when stuff happens we're there to show people that we've built this relationship and we've built this friendship, but now you're going to see exactly how that plays out when things are going down uh, all over the world. But we're able to keep that relationship going because we do have that mutual respect for each other. Mm-hmm. And so I take all of that and connect it to my empowering of of the cause of women and women's voices to be heard, um, because you know we know that women are you know so talented and they can multitask better than men. And <laughs> when you don't have women included in a project, it's usually not so great. <laughs> Very that's true. Many times. So, <laughs> men deny themselves such a great asset that God has given the world right. You know, intentionally. Right. So that's why I wanted to focus my chapter on women of faith and the beauty that women bring to the world and the soft, sweet tenderness that we bring, but also the intelligence and the collaboration and the connection that we have to infiltrate these ideas down to our children and the next generation.
0: That is so that's so good. You know, your story really is it resonates with me a lot. Because, again, growing up in that evangelical world, I, I didn't really have much interaction with anybody outside of my very narrow stream. So I was in this very tight bubble. And I didn't know much about uh, Muslim people and nothing about them. Um, they seem like they're nice people, whatever. I knew like a couple of people in town who, who were uh, Muslim. And then when 9 11 happened, I was in college. And so now all of a sudden, the message that I got in streaming into my little bubble was how evil, you know, Muslim people are and how the Quran tells them to do all these things and kill all these people. And so now my mind is like exploding with all this information. And I, I had that mindset. I mean, sadly, it's very ignorant of me, but I had that's, I admit, I had that mindset for, for many years. And then when I got, I worked for Apple for 11 years and I worked in four different stores. And some of the stores we had like 100, 150 people working in these stores. And I started to work with Muslim people. And I'll never forget, there was this guy who was the nicest guy, the funniest guy, I became friends with him. And I said to him one day, I'm like, can I ask you an honest question? I said, this is going to sound extremely ignorant. I said, I feel really terrible even thinking this way. I said, but all I've been told for the last however many years is that your people are this, this, and this. And I said, but you don't seem like you're this, this, and this. So there's this real disconnect going on in my head. Can you help me understand the lies that I've been told? Because obviously I've been lied to. And he told me some of the very same things that you just said about the Quran. And I was just just blown away. And that completely transformed my thinking. And that really, you know, looking, tracing back through my deconstruction, that was a moment in time that a seed was planted that there really is a connection between all of us, regardless of what our faith is. And if we could just get past these lies that so many of us have been told about how different we are and how we have to be on all these separate paths, if we could get past those lies and embrace those seeds, who knows what could grow. So thank you for sharing everything you just did.
5: Of course. Thank you so much.
0: So we are uh, nearing the end of our time, but this has been, this has been amazing. I, I, I really love this and a really open invitation to all of you, because I would love to have maybe even a deeper conversation with each of you about the different things that you bring to light um in the book and, and things you just talked about, because I think this is so important. And I, I'm doing this, this short series on TikTok and, and, and Reels, where I'm talking about how people get upset with me sometimes because they don't like that I don't debate on the show. And I don't argue with people like someone will pose something to me that I obviously don't agree with. And I've had listeners say, well, you don't agree with that. Like, why don't you push back? And I'm like, because that's not what it's about. Like, I want to know, I I might not agree with Caleb or Heather, whoever, but it doesn't matter. Like, I want to hear what Keith thinks. And I want to know why he's so passionate about this one thing. Because if I can understand Keith, I can understand his background and his story and this passion that he has we can connect on that level because I'm passionate about things as well. I think Mm -hmm. that I can help me have a deeper appreciation for Keith, deeper appreciation for other people. And so this conversation has helped me have a deeper appreciation for all of you. Uh, So thank you for taking the time to join me. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful.
0: And uh, does anybody want to add anything really quick before we end? And number two, the second thing is if anybody just wants to share, if people want to connect with you online with your work, I know you blog, some of you blog on Pathios want to share any of that i'll put all the links in the show notes as well
5: you can find me on instagram and facebook that's where i usually um and most mingle, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <swearing> mingle.
0: <laughs> i'll awesome.
3: send you information afterwards beautiful please do
1: uh, i just want to say real quick first of mm-hmm. all thank you glenn this has been wonderful thank you for hosting this conversation and just to kind of piggyback on what you were just saying and what her, her and, and, and others have been saying is like The thing, the way I express what you're saying is like, you know, so much of my upbringing as an evangelical Christian and I and in college, I was really into apologetics. Right. And arguing trying to prove why Christianity was right and everybody else was wrong. And um, and then I had this paradigm shift a few years ago. And what I realized was that really there's I think there's two paths we can take when we encounter people of, of a faith that's different than our own. Um, unfortunately, I, I took the path that most Christians are trained to take, which is to look for and point out the differences, right, mm-hmm. between your faith and somebody else, and that. And what I've noticed is that leads to arguments and conflict, and we know historically that can cont- continue to it becomes violence and war and genocide. Um, but the other path, which I'm only now starting to walk on, and that this book is really trying to inspire. Is to say, when you encounter someone of a of a faith that's different than your own, instead of looking for what's different, look for the similarities. Look for the common ground. If you if that's the filter you look through, if you're looking to learn something, if you're looking to see like how what, what do we share in common, right? What are these values, these feelings, these these things that that we we hold dear? Um, that leads to well, first of all, listening, at least to learning, at least a conversation, at least to friendship. And it's the path really that leads to peace. And I hope that people who read this book pick up on that, right? That, hey, this is better. It's really better to sit and learn and listen um, to people that at first seem so different from us. But I think the more we listen, the more we start noticing how much we have in common. And uh, and I think that's what's beautiful about this book. And yeah, I just encourage everybody who hasn't had a chance to read it to go check it out. I, I guarantee you'll be challenged in um, some pretty profound ways.
0: Then head to the show notes, click the link, buy the book. Awesome. Thanks,
1: everybody.